When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome in Rose City to the Soccer Made in Portland podcast. Uh, another special edition for you this week. Uh, I'm Ryan Clark, joined by Chris Reifer and Portland Timbers general manager Ned Grabavoy. Ned, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Ryan and Chris. Thanks for having me. And uh, first time here, so happy to chat with you guys. Well, welcome in. Um, you know, we'll, we'll just dive right into it uh, in terms of the subjects at hand. Obviously, you, you know, you were a person who played 13 years in MLS, uh, final season with the Timbers. Um, what about this team, this city attracted you to, to join the front office originally? Yeah, well, uh, Portland fans maybe don't want to remember my one uh, season giving them the uh, memorable 20, 2016 after after winning MLS Cup. But, you know, I, I think I had, had sort of said it before a few times. You know, I, I was a part of the, the first free agency class in MLS, you know, and so playing 12 years, you know, and never really having the ability to, to have a, a majority of the say, you know, of where you could go and play, I think, at that moment in my career, you know, and, and, and being fortunate enough to, to be a part of some winning teams. You know, for me, I looked at Portland as, as always being uh, just such a unique market and the fan base and the supporters and just everything that they had here for me was uh, it, it was almost a bridge in a way of, of sort of the old MLS, you know, into what the new MLS was going to look like. Um, and, and certainly I could have you know, made other decisions to, to go up to other clubs and probably play more given the, the midfielders I had in, in front of me, which was probably the best group in, in the league at the time. Uh, but for me, it was, it, it was more about being somewhere, um, you know, that sort of showed the growth of the league and being a part of that personally and individually. Um, so that was a, a big reason for, you know, me uh, wanting the opportunity in Portland. And uh, what do you like about living in Portland? Now, it's been, it's been a few years that you've been um, with the club, either as a player or front office uh, individual. I guess, what, uh, what do you like the most about it? So I've, I've lived a lot of places, and for, you know, everyone's different. Um, was in New York City area with two-year-old twins. You know, that, uh, that didn't work for me. Um, I, I've always said if I could be anywhere west of, of Colorado – that's that's what I would choose. So I like being on the on the West Coast, um, and I think Portland has a a ton to offer. Um, you know, I think the the outdoor living and just the you know the ability to get to the ocean, to get to the mountains, to to, to be outside. Um, you know, some of those things I think are are some of the attractions that draw a lot of people um, you know to the area. So I think it's it's crazy to think because you blink and you know, almost eight years go by and then you realize it's kind of the longest you've lived anywhere, you know, since I was a kid. Um, you know, so it, it, it feels strange to say that, but I do think, 
you know, over the last couple of years, my, my family and I have considered this now to be our home, um, you know, and, and we're happy to be here and happy to be a part of the community. Ned, you just got a big promotion. Uh, obviously, congratulations on that. I'm about to give you another one. So also congratulations on that. Uh, for purposes of, uh, of this question, congratulations, you've just been promoted to MLS commissioner. Uh, and as additional good news, the uh, the players union uh, and the board of, uh, of directors of the league have, have come together and have given you unilateral authority uh, to change the MLS roster rules. Uh, so with, with all of this new power that you have, uh, what are you doing? How are you going into the rules and changing things? I, my first question would be, did I receive my first paycheck yet with, with the promotion? Uh, cause at, at that level I may need one and then, you know, I may not have to make any decisions and just sort of fade, fade, fade out, fade out. But, uh, accounting is a little behind, but we'll check into that for you. <laughs> you know, I think the, the, the league and, and I know Chris, that, that you have a pretty good understanding you know, of a lot of the rules and regulations of the league. But in, in all honesty, I look at where the league was and where the league is is now and how quickly it's accelerating year to year. For me, it's moving very, very quickly. And, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Some of it is just now, I think, investment and ownership. You know, when you look at what clubs are being sold for, the stadiums, investment in players, investment in staff, um, it, it's almost like you get into the eras of MLS 1.0, 2.0. I feel like every three months it's like MLS 5.5, MLS 5.8. And, you know, I wonder at, at some point, is there a system that makes more sense where instead of dealing with the GAM and the TAM and the salary cap and do we just open it up, take the number up, take it up quite a bit and say, we've, we've got a lot of people now that have been working in the league for for a long time you know and have a great knowledge of, of many many things and do we give them more ability and flexibility to ultimately make decisions that best suit their club and their marketplace um, without knowing i would think you know a, a lot of those thoughts and ideas would probably mirror you know other cso's or other others that are looking at it as well uh, and, and no one has a crystal ball and no one has the perfect answer um, but for me in, in a world of competition, let's open it up and compete. Uh, and then from there, I think you've got to make the decisions that are best for the club. And yes, there's going to be some clubs that have more limitations than other clubs, but at the same time, you know, I don't know, maybe we were also prohibiting some of the massive spenders in the league from doing more in, in driving the league. So it's an interesting uh, topic and an interesting conversation. Uh, and it's certainly one I, I don't think that's going to go away. It's going to it's going to continue. Do you think we're picking up momentum uh, on this front? I mean, we just saw uh, this is a small victory, but we just saw the allocation order uh, abolished. I'm going to use the word abolished because uh, because that, that that's fun. Uh, but for those of us who have been in and around MLS rules for a while, that was that was a a, a bit of a victory. Do you think that's a sign that we're getting some momentum toward that direction? Uh, you know, that's probably on, it, that may be on a smaller scale. Right. But I, I do think hopefully it's a, a show as well from from the league side that, look, these conversations are and discussions are healthy. It, it's healthy to disagree. It's healthy for one person to have an opinion that doesn't align with someone else's opinion. Uh, that's what makes the sport and the business, you know, also enjoyable for, for, for a lot of people. And so I think at least if there's healthy you know, dialogue and 
conversations on those, you know, and then putting it sort of back to, to, to the group of people that are tasked with helping lead clubs. You know, I think getting that feedback, but being open to, to, to that feedback and those opinions, then ultimately you'll, you'll get a better understanding of maybe how the majority of that group feels about, you know, some of the different rules and regulations. Operating, I guess, within um, those rules and regulations as they currently stand, obviously, um, the the Timbers maintain a, a DP spot, and, and you've spoken publicly about uh, the desire to sign a young DP at the striker spot uh, in the near future. I'm wondering, um, you know, GMs don't like the the word timeline, but <laughs> I'm wondering what, uh, what the status of that signing is and, and what kind of player uh, you guys are looking for. Yeah, so I think it, it's there's a couple things in that in that question. First, I think a young designated player in that position long term is what could make a, a ton of sense for us as a club. Having said that, at the moment we don't necessarily have the ability to do that. Now we we definitely need to add another quality striker and forward uh, to give Geo more competition in that position. And ultimately, the goal with any acquisition and signing is for to, to ultimately improve the team, not just add players for, for the sake of adding players, uh, but ultimately wanting it to improve, you know, the level of the group. So I think while we've looked at a few different things, you've probably seen with, with some of the moves and, and, and passing on, on another um, player uh, that, that uh, we had traded discovery rights to, at the moment, I think we definitely need to find as good a player as we can for this season but still allowing us some flexibility long-term um, to, to one, bring the best player we possibly can, and two, do it in a way that is best for our, our, our budget and for our salary cap. And for me, I, I do see that potentially at, at Ford as being that young designated player forward, coupled with a good quality forward that has you know, some more experience. So some of this we have to work through a little bit. You know, Felipe Mora's injury is, is obviously a situation that everyone's aware of. Um, you know, restructuring that contract for us was vital to even give us the opportunity to potentially look at some of these things. Um, and I think as we go forward the next few months and into the summer, the longer term decision will be there um, and we'll have more clarity on, on, on what's best. For sure. So in your mind, I guess at this point, uh, the the immediate need is is seeking somebody that's that's more of an established presence of an immediate contributor and then in the long term hopefully setting yourselves up to to sign somebody that's a young dp at that spot yeah and I, I, look i think for 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 us we're not just going to look at age and say well the 30 year old is better than a 20 year old i mean that's i think we've seen with some of our our young acquisitions over the last you know, year, year and a half, some of these players are capable of coming in right away and, and making an impact. I think it's, do we have the ability to go out, spend another transfer fee and fit it into our, our, our cap this year, into our roster this year right now? We don't. Can we look at some situations where maybe we're bringing a young player in with the ability to purchase long-term or even a more established player that we're bringing in short-term with the ability to, to, to have long-term? I think for us, it's a fine balance, best player, but also giving us some flexibility where we're not, you know, potentially digging a hole uh, in a position where we already have, you know, some uncertainty. Early in the offseason, Tom Bogert or, you know, the the American Fabrizio Romano uh, 
reported a couple times that he expected this to be uh, a very busy offseason for the Timbers. You, of course, signed Evander, which is no small thing, to be sure. Uh, but, it, you know, to date, that's, that, that's you know, the only really major change from the 2022 roster. What do you think changed in terms of, you know, the, sort of the expectation setting in, in terms of what was going to happen this winter? Yeah, I think there's, uh, you know, I think some of it is dream versus reality. You know, and reality is, Going into this offseason, we had 18 of the 20 players in the senior roster under contract. You know, no options, but guaranteed and under contract, which is the first time we've ever had that without question at, at this club. Some of it is, you know, players have been rewarded for success at the club. And, you know, the club did have a run there and a stretch there where there was a lot of players that helped make us successful and proved that they were capable of of helping a team, you know, win in this league. And, and then I think just where we're at with available money. So we have, you know, reality was we had two open roster slots and around 1.3, 1.4 in money this season to use. So, you know, you sign a DP and do the math, take, you know, take the 650 down off that number. And now you're at a number where, okay, can you get a great forward just for, for that budget number one year? Difficult. Um, which is why we've also looked actively to, to potentially make moves where we are active in the trade market, you know, and, and there are players that, you know, we would look to have to, to move uh, in order to do what's best long term. Now, we've looked at doing that. We'll continue to look at doing that uh, and we'll have to continue to revisit that. But we also don't want to just give players away for free unless it makes sense, you know, for us both, you know, competitively and, and financially. I know that's not a, a sexy answer. I, I know fans, I know people like, they like buzz and they like getting on Twitter and they like seeing they did this, they did that. But the reality is we've had a method here. We followed it the last five or six years. And I, I do think overall we've been more right than we've been wrong. The goal is with any acquisition, best player, best budget number possible, that gives us a, a, a great player under contract for the next four or five years. You add enough of them and it should equal up to something that hopefully leads to success. Now, will we have to retool some things and reshape, reshape some things within the roster? 100% without question. But there, there are some, there are a lot of moving parts and some of it is being patient, having a steady hand and you, we're all going to make decisions when you make them, you gotta, you gotta try to make the right ones a lot more right than them been wrong. Um, and we'll continue to try and do that. You mentioned, you know, maintaining some of that continuity um, in terms of the approach for, for the club uh, with, with soccer operations, obviously. Um, one of the challenges for, for that and, and for people like yourself and others on staff um, is the shuffling of, of leadership and, and, you know, the firing of Gavin Wilkinson um, late last year. How did that and how did the um, other off-field concerns swirling around the club impact the ability for, for yourself and soccer ops to, to maintain that standard and, and maintain that level of work? Yeah, and I think, look, it's everything's been, been publicized. And of course, you know, during that, that change and, and through those sort of turbulent times, there's a lot that's happening, you know, inside of a club. Um, and, and there's many things to deal with other than just finding a good forward or, you know, trading a, a, a player. Right. And I think for us as a club, you know, 
in Portland, this club, how the team looks on the field, the product on the field, winning games, being competitive, always going to be important. Always. Uh, and it's a big reason why myself and a lot of other staff members love being here. But there have been a lot of other things to accomplish this offseason. And I do think that we have uh, the club now in, in a place where we are ready to move forward. I, I think there's a lot of fresh ideas. I think there's new leadership that's also eager to help sort of help, you know, help the club evolve and improve. Um, and so that has taken, you know, quite a bit of time this offseason. Don't get me wrong. It, it's important to spend that time um, because that's also what's going to set up the club long term for for success as well. So I think we've 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 worked hard. We've worked tire tirelessly on a lot of different fronts to stabilize the club. I think we've done that. And now, in all honesty, coming in off, off a long offseason where, quite frankly, we didn't meet expectations and, you know, at times, the, the performances were, were probably more concerning than results in some ways. And I, I see some people re-energize, you know, and, and that's a, a good feeling. And um, certainly there's a lot of work to be done. Uh, but at the same time, I think everyone's sort of looking in a positive direction right now. And one of the potential areas of, of work is um, a, a relationship, I guess, with, with the fan base that, that in large part, uh, had a lack of trust and and maybe some level of animosity to towards Gavin Wilkinson when he was here. Uh, you know, despite the successes on the field, obviously there were there were very public mistakes made by Gavin uh, and and his relationship with the fans. Um, how I guess are are you planning to to reach out to fans and bridge that gap between the Timbers Army and the front office when it seems pretty wide right now? Yeah, and look, I think it's a passionate fan base. It's and and that's super important to, to the club, without question. I think to to relive the past and how did things go wrong, mistakes that were made, and and Gavin ultimately not being here. Of course, there's you know that that part of it, but you know I think it's also in a lot of ways, it shouldn't be ignored some of the positive impact that he had over that time period because there is a lot of positive things within the club. And, and I think reconnecting with the fan base, a big part of the off-season off plan and strategy, I think a lot of those things are going to be put into place over the next couple of weeks and months. And then ultimately, how do we continue that relationship forward is extremely important. Um, because we, we, we do need to find a way, you know, to, for everyone to sort of have an understanding as to where we're at, but also where we're going. And I think sometimes it's from the outside, you can kind of look on the surface, but it's hard to know what's underneath. And for me, the amount of employees and staff members here that sacrifice daily and, and this club being, you know, pretty much their, their, their livelihood, um, there's a lot of people that care you know, passionately about this club and where this club is going. Uh, and certainly there, there's uh, some things there, Ryan and Chris, um, that we need to improve. And like I said, it's, it's, it's been a big part of the offseason planning. Uh, one of the things that's been a change is, is since Gavin was let go, you've been playing a man down in your office. Uh, it, it seems it's in, in terms of your direct office, it's sort of been you and Nick Mansueto in a bit of a foxhole. Uh, I think you all have previously said that you plan to make some additions there. Where are you in that process? Yeah, it's uh, 
I would say biggest priorities in terms of on the sporting side right now, we talked about trying to add that forward, right? There, there's, you know, two other positions that uh, we need to hire and that are urgent, in, in my opinion. You know, one would be a, a video analyst, uh, as we had a staff member that departed for a, a different opportunity um, in MLS. And the other would be, you know, sort of a, a, a director of scouting type um, to essentially start to take lead on that. But it's also a department that we need to build out over time. Um, a lot of clubs in MLS have started to become very aggressive with the, the resources and investment in that department. And for us as a club, looking at the, the makeup of the team, certainly it makes sense that we have, you know, we've acquired a lot of players from abroad. So having that, you know, be in a place where it's healthy and it's good is really, really important. So huge priorities, both those positions. We are currently uh, ongoing, I would say, in the latter stages with both of those positions. And for me and for the club in general, um, those positions are, are equally as important as, as any player we're going to sign right now. Um, we do not want to fall behind in a lot of these areas. Um, and not just fall behind or stay the same. We need to grow and we need to improve. Um, so it's been a huge talking point as well. Obviously, uh, one of the highlights, if not the highlight of the offseason, is the signing of Evander, a club record signing. Um, you've spoken about him before and, and what he can potentially bring. Um, I'm starting to hear this question a lot in MLS circles. Do you think that Evander can be one of, if not the best players in MLS and, and be really a, a generational talent for this league? Great question. I think, and this goes back to, you know, when we jumped in the, be, the, the beginning of the uh, conversation, a little bit of difference of, of opinions and difference. We all see the game differently, right? Now, I think when you look at uh, the level of investment, the type of player, you know, where Evander's coming from, his skill set and talent level, the talent is there, but there's also a lot of, you know, accountability on us in terms of how do we put him in the best position to succeed. And I think when you look at the history of some of the designated players in this league over the last five or 10 years that have sort of gotten themselves to a level where, you know, everyone around the league looks at those handful of players and says, you know, that's one of the best guys in the league, right? That, that guy helps make that team go. I do think there's a, a, a period and a process in which the player comes in, the player acclimates, the player settles, and then hopefully the player shows what he's capable. I do think there's a longer progression year two and year three, where once that player's at least shown that to the club, the club is then going and investing in and around that player to give him the right pieces to, to ultimately help fit and mesh that player's skill set. And that's when I start, I, I think you see with some of the players year two and year three, where they just take off and, and they're on another level. The, the recent ones in, in, in thinking through this a little bit, you know, I think if you were to look at a, a Haney Mukhtar, if you were to look at an Emmanuel Reynoso, who I think were, you know, two players that came into the league a, a few years ago, they had that sort same sort of progression. Showed immediately the talent level, the ability, and then I think settling within the club and then the club starting to build around them. And that's when you see, you know, some of these players completely take off and reach that next level. That would be the goal for us. Um, of course, when the player comes in, we want the player to do as well as he possibly can right away. 
But I do think to, to reach that top, top level, there's more to it than just the player itself. You know, we'll constantly be monitoring those things going forward and what pieces and what players, you know, fit with who. One of the things you said in your introductory press conference, and I think you even referenced it uh, just a few moments ago, is that you all came to a, to an assessment over the course of the offseason that you think the the group from last year underperformed a little bit and that you think that they are are capable of more in 2023. Now, when you look at some of the, the, the advanced stats, the XG and, and things like that, they don't necessarily reflect that conclusion. My view on those things is that they can be a tool, a valuable tool, but they don't always tell the full story. What's the other part of the story that you all saw as you assessed last year's group and decided that that, that group, even with an addition of somebody like Evander, is, is capable of performing significantly better in 23? Yep, and I, I would actually sort of agree with some of the data and you know, stats that you would look at. And, and objectively, I wouldn't disagree and I wouldn't say that we necessarily deserved a lot more last year or to be in a better position within the table. Um, because I think, you know, while, while not gaining the, the amount of points needed to, to qualify for the playoffs or finish higher in the standings, you know, as I sort of had alluded to earlier, for me uh, and for a lot of us, I think some of the performances were, were more of a concern than, um, you know, than, than the actual position within the table. Now, having said that, you know, it's not an excuse making business, super short off season, run up to MLS cup, you know, is there a level of complacency that was within the team last year? Yes, probably. Um, are we expecting some players to bounce back? How do we ultimately help push and support those players to jump back closer to, you know, their top potential and their top level? I do think that's some of it for us. But as I said before, I, the, the, the roster is a living and breathing thing, and we'll constantly monitor that and how we make the right changes going forward uh, and who's going to be a part of the next four or five years and, and maybe who's not. Ned, shifting gears a bit here, um, you're a Chicago guy. Um, catch up on a hot dog, acceptable or unacceptable? Well, a Portland guy now because – one, I, I just don't have any time to go back to Chicago anymore, which is uh, sad because anyone that's been there knows they've got some of the best food options in the world. Uh, the great thing about Chicago, Chicago hot dog, is you could do whatever you want and it's, it's the right way. So you, you can do whatever you want with a hot dog. It does not matter. Uh, there's people in Chicago right now that might put ice cream on a hot dog and you know what? I, I couldn't disagree with it. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's less hard line than I expected, but is a, a welcome thing. You know, there's so many people that have such strong opinions on that front that it's it's happy. It's a happy moment for me to hear that. So this is a question of personal privilege. Uh, are you a Cubs or a White Sox guy? Cubs fan. All right, excellent answer. Go ahead, Cubs Ryan. Fan. And, and by the way, you know, just Chicago is, is is one of the best sports cities, and it's been a tough like. Usually when you have that many teams, you've got one that's, you know, in and around, like competing for something and they are down right now. So I don't know if they'll, maybe they'll all bounce back at the same time, and but not good for Chicago sports fans. Although, the, although they secretly enjoy the, they secretly enjoy the misery as well somehow. <laughs> I'm inferring from that that you're also a Bears fan. Yeah. I, I don't know if you call it a fan anymore. Um, <laughs> That might be part of the reason why I ended up in Portland is just to sort of move away from from that organization and <laughs> patiently wait. 
returning to to the food subject briefly um <laughs> you know obviously chicago is an amazing food city portland is is up there i think too and based on you know different cities around the country and the diversity of of food options that you got here um are there go-to spots you've got in portland do you have like favorite restaurants that you could you could rattle off yeah, some, and I think one closed right after COVID, which crushed me, uh, but there was a place called Imperial. Um, I, I loved getting down to that place, uh, you know, early and catching early dinner because I'm an old guy and I, I go to sleep early and I don't have much of a social life, but uh, Imperial was always a great one. Um, you know, growing up in Chicago and being around all the, the, the old time steakhouses every now and then, I, I do like that classic steakhouse. You know, that's when I'll be down at El Gaucho every now and then. You know, that's a, that's another great spot. Um, you know, Bullard is another one, I think, that's pretty good. And you can find a good lunch. You can find a good dinner. So Portland's got a, a – well, it's not quiet anymore. I, I think it's known. But uh, a really, really good food uh, food scene, you know, and very unique and, and pretty much has everything that uh, you would want. So it's, it's one of, without question, uh, the biggest attractions of Portland as well. Great. Well, that will wrap it up for us here on Soccer Made in Portland. Thank you, Ned, for for taking the time to do this. I uh, look forward to, to additional conversations in the future um, as as the season uh, plugs away and and gets on rolling. Here, it'll it'll be nice to have, I think, some consistency in terms of uh, the games each week too. Pretty much all of them on Saturdays. You know, just. The schedule being consistent, I think, is something that'll benefit the players, but uh, I, I would imagine would make somebody like yourself's job quite a bit easier, too. Yeah, and a lot of other people's. I, I think that's a general consensus as well. And uh, look, I'm, I'm happy to uh, have spent the time with you guys. And Ryan, anytime you got any food questions, you can call me. I, I know the timber <laughs> stuff is important, too. <laughs> it but, is. Uh, let me know how I can help in, in any way. Of course, We're always seeking new options on the dining front, uh, just as important, by the way, as, as the other parts of my job. Um, so, so thanks again, Ned. Uh, thank you to Chris, as always. Uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Soccer Maiden PDX. Uh, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. That's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else. And we will be back next week. Thanks for joining us.